everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Sun Also Rises here on KPCG-FM. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and Thanksgiving for the United States is just around the corner. So for today's episode, in recognition of the Thanksgiving season, I wanted to take the occasion to discuss one factor in America's greatness that is very often overlooked. And I think that discussing this will help Americans and non-Americans alike to better understand this world that we were born into and the Pax Americana that pretty much all of us have benefited from quite a lot. We're calling this episode, What If America's Founders Had Settled in Russia? That title and the overlooked factor will become clear soon, but first we have to establish that America is an exceptional country. You can see this in the Panama Canal, which so many nations had set their sights on digging, but only the U.S. was able to forever alter the face of the earth with this staggering feat of engineering. You can also see America's exceptionalism in the first solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean. And even in manned flight itself, that was an American innovation that most everyone benefits from, whether directly or indirectly. Lots of other major innovations come from the U.S. too, like transistors and washing machines, integrated circuits, vulcanized rubber, personal computers and the internet, and a virtually endless list of inventions and scientific advances that benefit millions, even billions of people around the globe. America's pioneer spirit has also allowed the U.S. to accomplish things that are literally out of this world, like landing the first man on the moon. Actually, to this day, America's the only nation to ever send people to the moon. Then there's also the defeat of the World War II Axis powers and rebuilding Europe and Japan after the war. All of these things are a powerful testimony to American metal and ingenuity. And then think about this. The people of the U.S. make up less than 4.5% of the world's total population. Yet, they constitute about 25% of global economic output. That's astounding. Americans also enjoy one of the highest standards of living in the world, and by far the highest for a big nation. A handful of smaller countries like Luxembourg and Qatar have higher per-person GDPs, but they are home to just a fraction of a percent of the total world population. America simply has an incomparable economic output. The U.S. also consistently ranks among, or at the very top, of the world's most creative countries. It has shined as a beacon of freedom for over two centuries. America does have some deep-rooted problems that are worsening all the time, but despite those problems, the U.S. is still an unmatched paragon of prosperity, providing opportunity and wealth for great numbers of people. So the question is why? Why did the U.S. become such an exceptional country? Pundits who debate this question point to things like America's laissez-faire economic system, its values, its politics, social mobility, freedom of religion and speech, or its prioritization of equality. But there is another often overlooked answer, and in many ways this unnoticed factor is the foundation that has made other aspects of America's success possible. It is a deeply inspiring facet of the United States that takes us all the way back into the mists of the earliest human history. 
This overlooked aspect of America's greatness is the country's geography. When Abraham Lincoln came to understand the exceptional geographic circumstances that the American people had been placed in, he said, quote, We find ourselves in the peaceful possession of the fairest portion of the earth as regards extent of territory, fertility of soil, and salubrity of climate. End quote. Lincoln's emphasis on climate was very astute because the U.S.'s most valuable geographic characteristic is not its immense amount of land, but its amount of usable land. Russia, Canada, and China all have more square mileage than America, but harsh climates render most of their territories unusable for habitation, agriculture, or development. In the United States, though, the climate is mostly temperate, and precipitation and temperature interact with each other in a rare harmony that ends up yielding some of the most resilient soils in the world. Complements of the Midwest, America has the largest contiguous mass of arable land on the globe, and this mass is bookended by huge tracts of fertile terrain on both coasts. All of this adds up to give the United States a truly astonishing agricultural output. As I mentioned, the U.S. makes up less than 4.5% of the total global population, but America produces 13% of the world's wheat, 40% of the world's corn, almost 60% of the world's soybeans, and 80% of the world's sorghum. Thanks in very large part to America's geography, the U.S. exports more food than any other country. And that's even though agriculture makes up only about 2% of the American economy. Another factor that makes U.S. geography so exceptional is our rivers. The terrain of most countries is pleasantly interrupted by at least a few rivers, but no other nation has anything that even begins to approach the U.S.'s wealth of rivers. AmericanRivers.org says the United States has over 250,000 rivers, and the total length of flowing water is more than 3.5 million miles. A person could fly to the moon and back seven times and still not have crossed that many miles, so it's really a, a mind-boggling number of river miles. And what's far more valuable than the number of American rivers, and even their total length, is the fact that the majority of America's rivers connect to at least one other river. This creates a vast and very intricate network of waterways. Chief among these is the Mississippi River's connection to the Ohio River, the Red River, the Tennessee, and the Missouri River. This forms the largest interconnected network of navigable rivers on the whole planet. Besides this incomparable river transport system, the U.S. is also home to all three of the world's largest and most useful natural harbors. Those are the San Francisco Bay, Chesapeake Bay, and New York Bay. And then America has dozens of other excellent natural harbors, too. And in numerous cases, the rivers naturally connect to the ocean harbors. And from there, goods can be shipped around the globe at minimal cost. Meanwhile, U.S. coastal shipping is shielded in an extraordinary way by a series of barrier islands off the East Coast and the Gulf of Mexico. These island groups form an intercoastal waterway that safeguards ports and watercraft from all but the most severe weather systems. 
You can understand the value of America's river network best by comparing it to that of other nations. Russia, for example, has several long rivers, but they seldom connect to each other, and not one of them naturally leads to a convenient port. Most of Russia's largest rivers flow very inconveniently north, emptying into the Arctic sludge of the Kara and Laptev seas. And since these rivers are frozen for much of the year, many of them are not navigable. Russia does have the south-flowing Volga River, but the Volga drains into the Caspian Sea, which is landlocked. So that means that for hundreds of years, the Volga could only be used to directly transport Russian exports to a few Middle Eastern and Central Asian countries. In more recent times, the Russians have spent great quantities of money and many thousands of lives to dig miles and miles of canal in order to connect the Volga to other rivers and eventually to link it to the Baltic and the Black Seas. So this lets the Volga connect to the world's oceans. But that was not the natural geographic situation for Russia. And then it's also important for this comparison to remember that most of the Volga freezes over for several months of each year, which paralyzes these shipment lines and shuts down all river transport. As bad off as Russia's river situation is, many nations are in even poorer maritime transport situations. So America's exceptional waterway system is truly miles above that of any other country, and it's by no virtue of the American people. It's just the natural geography. Recognition of this incredible situation prompted journalist Charles Kurout to famously say, quote, America is a great story, and there's a river on every page. I'm Jeremiah Jacques. This is the Sun Also Rises radio show on KPCG-FM, and we'll be right back. to The Sun Also Rises on KPCG-FM. I'm Jeremiah Jacques, and on this special Thanksgiving episode, we're talking about an overlooked factor in America's greatness, which is geography. Before the break, we spoke about how precipitation and temperature interact in rare harmony to give America vast amounts of arable land. And we also spoke about the 3.5 million miles of rivers that the U.S. has. Those are both major contributors to America's unusual wealth. But what's far more astonishing than the country's unmatched agricultural capacity, or its awesome natural maritime system, is the way those two factors go together. It's really hard to overstate just how remarkable this geography overlap is. Rather than slicing arbitrarily through the country, Dozens of America's largest rivers intersect the nation's agricultural hotspots with almost perfect proportion and precision. So this means, even without having to dig canals, boats are able to navigate to many regions in the Midwest from almost any region along the East or Gulf coasts. This means food that isn't needed locally can easily be shipped to a harbor and then exported overseas. 
In most nations, major agricultural zones end up being grossly underutilized. And that's because the expense of transporting their yield to locations where there are plenty of consumers ends up slashing deeply into the economics of cultivation. And in some cases, the distances are just too vast. To return to the Russian situation, for example, the Russians have to maintain colossal man-made transportation networks in order for their land to reach its potential. And even with these man-made networks, it's not uncommon for Russian crops to spoil before they can cross the Eurasian steppe to reach market. But in the U.S., in the greater Mississippi Basin, the vast majority of agricultural turf lies within just 120 miles of a navigable river. The economic implications of this overlap are staggering. The geography of most nations requires their governments to scrape together heaps of capital so that they can lay endless miles of rail and asphalt and dig all kinds of canals, all just to form transport capacity, which is the groundwork of an economy. But in the U.S., natural geography provided an intricate transport system at no expense. And this built-in transport capacity meant that the nation's resources were freed up for other economic pursuits. And all of that virtually guaranteed that America would be capital rich. With this free capital, America was able to complete its first transcontinental railroad way back in 1869, and its first coast-to-coast roadway in 1913. To return once again to Russia, where the geography did not provide much natural transport, They only completed their first transcontinental railroad in 1916. And their first cross-country highway was only completed in 2008, not even a decade ago. So that's quite a bit later than the much younger United States. So it's easy to see that America's agricultural capacity and its maritime system go together in an extraordinary way. In recognition of this Thanksgiving season, we could say they are the turkey and stuffing, of America's geography. America's natural geography also ensured that the country would have virtually no continental competition. To the east and west, the U.S. is buffered from other countries by thousands of miles of shining ocean. Then to the south is Mexico, which has terrain that is in most places either too mountainous, too tropical, or too arid for anything but subsistence agriculture. Mexico also has no significant maritime transport system and is separated from the U.S. for the most part by a desert border. And for most of recent history, Mexico has not presented a significant threat to the United States. And then finally, to the north of the U.S. is Canada, which is far more mountainous and far colder than America. And then Canada's only traversable waterway system, the St. Lawrence Seaway and the Great Lakes, those belong as much to the U.S. as they do to Canada. So that doesn't give Canada an advantage over America. Also relevant is that the bulk of Canada's farmable land lies just along the American border. This makes it economically wiser for these provinces to integrate with the states for exporting than to work with their their, uh, neighboring provinces there. So while geography hinders Mexico and Canada in many ways, it empowers the United States. 
This means geography leaves the United States unthreatened on all sides. The result is that the U.S. does not need to maintain a large standing military presence along any of its borders. A glance at Russia reveals an opposite situation once again. Thousands of miles of vulnerable borders have made it necessary throughout much of history for the Russian bear to keep sizable standing armies along its borders. This is an economic drain that has contributed to several Russian collapses throughout history. America's geographic situation is so extraordinary that Stratfor has called the United States, quote, the inevitable empire. That's in a Stratfor series called The Geopolitics of the United States, which a lot of the information from this episode comes from. One section of the article says, quote, when viewed together, the robust natural transport network overlaying vast tracts of excellent farmland, sharing a continent with two much smaller and weaker powers, it is inevitable that whoever controls the middle third of North America will be a great power. End quote. So by no virtue of the American people, the nation's power was inevitable because of its geography. And so the question becomes... If the people who inhabit this exceptional piece of real estate were geographically guaranteed to become great, then how did the American people come to possess it? Well, the Bible makes clear that the geographic locations and national borders of the Earth's various peoples were divinely determined. And the Bible makes plain also that God determined when various peoples would live in certain locations. When the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Athenians, he said, quote, God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and he has determined the times before appointed and the bound of their habitation. End quote. That's in Acts 26, verse 17. And the New International Version says, quote, God marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. End quote. But long before Paul explained that truth, God inspired the Old Testament patriarch Jacob to bestow a landmark blessing upon his two grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Genesis chapters 48 and 49 show that Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel, placed his left hand on the head of Manasseh and blessed him, saying that he would become a single great nation. And God fulfilled this promise to Manasseh spectacularly in the 19th and 20th centuries when the United States of America attained towering cultural dominance, unparalleled military might, and mind-boggling economic power. We have a book called The United States and Britain in Prophecy, written by the late Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, and it explains the details of God's promise to Manasseh and why it was not fulfilled until the modern era beginning around the year 1800. And this is a book that illustrates history in a way that no other book can. Its message allows readers to understand the modern world in a way that no other message can. So I hope you'll go to thetrumpet.com 
and click on the literature tab to order a copy of The United States and Britain in Prophecy. It's entirely free. There's no shipping charges or anything and no uh, no follow-up or anything like that. It's just a free and very momentous book. And it's fascinating to me that long before the 1800s, long before the Apostle Paul taught the Athenians from the top of Mars Hill, and even long before Ephraim and Manasseh were born, God foreordained America's greatness with geography. All the way back when he was recreating the earth, as recorded in Genesis 1, sculpting its surface, separating dry land from sea, and carving out the continents, God would have been thinking of Manasseh and of the promise that he would make to him to turn his descendants into the single greatest nation on earth. Toward this end, God designated a massive and exceptional chunk of real estate for Manasseh's descendants, the American people. And during this Thanksgiving season here in the United States, I think that gives us a lot to think about. Before we wrap up the show today, we wanted to allow some time here for a poem that was written specifically for this episode by a local Edmund poet and a friend of mine, Mr. David Brandon. This poem is called Song of America, and here it is. I am the river flowing to the seas, slow rolling through the fields and groves of trees, the lifeblood of the heartland and its crops that start to rise toward the open skies, so stark against the snow-capped mountaintops. I am the river flowing to the seas. I am the land that lies beneath the skies, a quilt of wheat and forest seamed with stone. The people sow and toil across my face and seek the mineral wealth within my depths. And when their lives are finished, I supply a final bed for all men, base or high. I am the land that lies beneath the skies. I am a people striving for a dream that all are equal and deserve a life of joy and plenty. From big city streets to every farm and town from west to east, a country made of many families meets now far from older lands and older creeds and prays a prayer of thanks that they are home. I am the haven from their old regimes. I am a people striving for a dream. I am the nation called America. Well, that brings us to the end of the show today. If you don't yet have a copy of the United States and Britain in Prophecy, please visit thetrumpet.com and click on the literature tab there at the top, and we'd be happy to send you a free copy of this landmark book. I'd like to thank David Brandon for his contribution to the program today. And during this Thanksgiving season, I would also like to take a moment to sincerely thank you listeners for your support of the show and for sharing it with friends and family and for the encouraging feedback, comments, and reviews that many of you have given to us. We really appreciate your support, so thank you. And we'll leave you today with the words from President Ronald Reagan's Thanksgiving Day proclamation from November 20th, 1982. He said, I have always believed that this anointed land was set apart in an uncommon way, that a divine plan placed this great continent here between the oceans to be found by people from every corner of the earth who had a special love of faith and freedom. Today we have more to be thankful for than our pilgrim mothers and fathers who huddled on the edge of the new world at that first Thanksgiving day could ever dream. We should be grateful not only for our blessings, 
but for the courage and strength of our ancestors which enable us to enjoy the lives we do today. <laughs>